Lola Smallwood-Cuevas is a project director at the UCLA Labor Center as an expert on unions, employment discrimination, and the black working class, specifically in Los Angeles. She directs the Los Angeles Black Worker Center, a project of the UCLA Labor Center, which is the first worker center in California focused on solving the black job crisis. The BWC aims to build power among black workers to create greater access to quality jobs, address employment discrimination, and transform industries that employ black workers. Smallwood Cuevas previously served as the political and community coordinator for the Service Employees International Union, SEIU Local 1877, and she has helped build a dynamic black community partnership with a largely immigrant union. She's co-authored the Labor Center's publication, Women's Work, Los Angeles Home Care Workers Revitalized the Labor Movement, and wrote a chapter in the 2010 book, Black Los Angeles American Dreams and Racial Realities. So I just wanted to start by asking if you could tell us a little bit about the history of the Black Worker Center and what led to its creation and how you initially got involved, your journey to today, where you now the director of it. Sure, sure. And thank you so much for pulling together this conversation and inviting me to the program. I wanted to just clarify that the LA Black Worker Center was a project of uh, the UCLA Labor Center. Actually, it was incubated there, but it is now its own organization located at 5350 Crenshaw Boulevard, which we like to refer to as Los Angeles's Black Downtown, um, in the heart of a historic Crenshaw district that has long been home to Black culture, Black politics, and Black thriving in Los Angeles. So a little bit about the history of the LA Black Worker Center. You know, it really grew out of our experience as union and community advocates and organizers who come together after the election of Obama in 2008 and really wanted to explore um, what was happening in the economy of of Black community uh, members in LA. We, you know, recognize that the country uh, was spiraling into a great recession. And from many of the discussions that we were having at the time as part of a program that was at the UCLA Labor Center called the African American Union Leadership School, which is a training across sectors for rank and file union members, build their leadership in those conversations, what we realized is that so many of the participants in that program were really anchoring so much of stability for their families in Los Angeles. As union members, you know, they had, you know, access to living wage jobs, they had health benefits, retirement benefits, but were supporting, you know, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, parents who did not have quality work or who were unemployed. Um, and we recognized that, you know, as the country was moving into this great recession, that many working class Black families in Los Angeles were experiencing aid oppression. And we wanted to do for a analysis around, you know, what was actually happening to, to working class Black workers. And, and in our in our research, what we came to understand was that in Los Angeles, there was really a dual crisis, one of unemployment, which at the time was o- over 20% in the Black community, and also underemployment, meaning workers who were working maybe one or two, even three low-wage jobs 
Um, and at the time, that was work that was paying $11 an hour or less and creating the, the dynamic of being having unemployment and underemployment. And underemployment was at about 35%. So when you added both the unemployment and underemployment, Black workers or communities were about 50% of Black working age adults had no job or were working for. And our research, you know, we understood, one, from what the, the data was telling us, but also anecdotally from the stories from around the various tables that this Black job crisis was, in fact, really tearing at the social fabric of, of Black Los Angeles. When you look at the homelessness rate, you know, Black workers, so 8% of the population represent, you know, probably... You know, the numbers say at about 40% of the homeless population, but we estimate that that number could be much higher than 40%. When you look at the jail population, um, Black communities are representing, you know, over 45% of that um, population. Um, Black uh, Angelinos, you know, were dying 17 years sooner than their um, their counterparts. Um, and so... You know, underneath a lot of the social conditions in crisis was this, you know, very and compounded black job crisis. And we felt that, you know, the only way to really sufficiently address what was happening in the community was to begin to organize workers who were the most impacted by those conditions and to really understand and learn from their expertise what are the actual barriers for Black workers in LA's economy, and what were some of the solutions that they saw um, for addressing those conditions? And um, the idea of creating the Black Worker Center, um, a community space where workers could come together, learn together, um, understand, you know, what was happening in the economy, understand, you know, um, what are the conditions that um, were um, presenting themselves as barriers to quality employment. How could, you know, um, a space for workers to come together and explore those issues, to discuss those issues, to investigate those issues together, and then develop, you know, solutions together? You know, how important would that be for addressing um, the unemployment and underemployment in our communities? And really, that's where the Black Worker Center was born. We held a series of conversations in the community. We facilitated a number of surveys and conversations with, you know, unemployed and underemployed workers and workers who who had good employment and really tried to deepen our understanding of the crisis. And we looked also to um, the really inspiring work of immigrant worker centers that have been doing community-based worker um, empowerment and organizing for the last two decades. We saw them as a model and really thought that when workers do well, our communities do well. And so how do we build, you know, a local community institution that would be focused on the protection and defense of Black workers and to help facilitate worker leadership to have, you know, these bottom-up solutions. And, and that really is what the Black Worker Center is. That's the work that we do, and we're going into our ninth year of, of operating the center this year and really proud 
of the courageous men and women and families that make up our community. In your work, you you talk a lot about the kind of specific experiences of black women in the working class and their critical importance as workers and breadwinners, but of course also as unpaid head of households and homemakers. Could you talk a little bit about critical importance of black women to the economy and the need for black women to organize and be present in unions? Sure. I think it's fitting now that we're, it's March 1st, International Women's Month, and really celebrating the contributions of women to our economy and to our society as a whole. I think since our arrival in this country as unwaged slave labor in which terror and violence and genocidal disenfranchisement marked our first, you know, 400 years in this country, the woman has played a vital role. Black women have played a vital role. Unlike other women in America, Black women have always had to work. They've always had to make choices about not being able to, of having to put livelihood over parenthood. The experiences of Black women being torn from their children, torn from their loved ones, and, and forced into a life of slavery and despair and violence um, is really at the root of the Black woman's experience and rising out of that to be able to lead um, in so many ways, liberatory movements, the liberation of spirit and the liberation of family for so many generations. And I think, you know, the history has, you know, created a, a division between Black men and Black women where Black women had, you know, a very thin sliver of of more freedom than the black man in our early beginnings in this country and was able to knit those freedoms into a safety net for family and for broader community and to use that that space women were able to hold to advocate for others and to organize community around community benefits and services and care as well as you know later in their workplace and so our history, we continue to evolve and to grow and to defend and fight that very deep history. And I think it has created an experience for, for, for Black women that has had Black women at the forefront of advocating for justice and advocating for rights. And even when there were federal labor protections and black women who were largely domestic workers who were shut out of all of the new deal black women built you know auxiliaries and benevolent societies to ensure that they had some level of support in the workplace and on their jobs and that continued as black women began to organize in public sector unions and healthcare unions and home care unions to ensure dignity and respect on the job. And so, you know, at the, at the LA Black Worker Center, it is not unusual that Black women are very involved in organizing and standing up for what's right for families. Because of the history, we do see Black women as the heads of households in the city of LA, meaning they are the breadwinners bringing much needed resources to families and to communities. But yet, because of discrimination in the workplace, they still 
experience some of the highest wage gaps when compared to, you know, their white white counterparts. And so the, the role of, of Black women in organizing and demanding fair fairness on the job um, is historic, and the need today continues to be great. I've read work where you've previously said that the, the goal of the Black Worker Center is unionization and seeing more Black women being involved and leading unions. I was wondering how the recent Supreme Court decision, Janus versus Ask Me, where in 2018, the Supreme Court ruled that the application of public sector union fees to non-members of a union is a violation of the First Amendment. And this decision, you know, really negatively impacts union power and worker power within a workplace. So I was wondering if the Black Worker Center was impacted by this and the work that you do since your overall goal is unionization. And what do you see as the, the future of this law when it comes to Black worker power? So I want to say, you know, our goal for the Black Worker Center is certainly to see workers be able to have voice on the job and to support efforts for workers to unionize. We support workers gaining access to quality work, meaning that they have family-sustaining wages and benefits and protection. We want workers to have discrimination-free work sites where they're able to bring their fullest selves with dignity to the workplace and to have a vehicle for improving the job that they are doing. So, you know, when combined, that means workers having agency, um, workers having power, and unions have been a powerful vehicle for Black workers. In fact, union workers are the only workers who actually earn more than their white counterparts. It's only when the union is brought into into the equation that the traditional discrimination, the additional wage gap disappear because of the collective bargaining agreement that holds employers accountable to workers having fairness on the job. And so historically, Black workers have fought to be a part of unions and continue to still fight to be counted as as union members. Um, In terms of the the Trump Supreme Court decision, uh, Janus, that was handed down, the, the impacts are serious for the Black community across the country. Public sector unionized workers, the largest unionized sector in the country, are by and large Black women. And so... The attack on the ability of unions to fairly and appropriately represent union members is an attack on both Black workers and working women. We know that Black organizing from Asa Randolph to Martin Luther King to, you know, the service employees, Black employees organizing of the 1980s, we know that Black workers have demanded justice and fairness in the public sector, ensuring that our local governments, cities, counties have a representative workforce that truly address the needs of the community. And when you hear about the impacts of right to work, which is basically what the Janus decision is, it's, it's a right to work policy. And wherever there's been a right to work policy, it really is a right to not work. It's the right to not work with dignity and respect. And in most cases, workers have lost their gains. They have experienced a loss in benefits. They have experienced a loss in wages. And the Black community just cannot afford those kinds of losses. So 
the Black Workers Center along with the Service Employees Union and AFSCME and the LA County Federation of Labor, we recently released a report just showing the benefit of public sector work in LA County. And LA County right now is in a tremendous crisis of homelessness. There is a tremendous crisis of unemployment and, and growing childhood poverty. But when you look at the impact in the in the difference that a public sector job makes, all of those statistics completely reverse. Public sector workers, you know, typically live in the cities where they work or near the cities where they work. They spend their money in those communities. They are less likely to, to face homelessness or displacement due to gentrification. They are more likely to be able to provide much-needed health benefits and resources to family members and community members who don't have those benefits serving as an invisible safety net. And, you know, they play important leadership roles in community-based institutions. And so public sector work is a win-win, not just in addressing the economic needs of Black women and the Black community, but for the community overall. And so we have to resist effort to erode the power of unions, which is really eroding the power of the individual workers. I mean, unions are just collections of workers, and workers are just community folk. They're community members. And so this is really attacking the essence of our community, and we have to resist that. And the LA Black Worker Center is really, you know, advocating for effort to expand workforce pipelines into public sector employment and in the process providing quality work for our communities, but also providing the quality services that so many of our community members need. I was wondering for the benefit of our listeners, could you briefly distinguish a worker center from a union? So unions are a very distinct and sort of technical formation in which there is an employer and there is a contract, which is called a collective bargaining agreement, and both the employer and the workers agree on what are the protections that will be provided through collective bargaining. Worker centers, we don't have collective bargaining agreements. We don't directly engage with employers in any sort of binding process. We are a community-based organization that educate workers on what their rights are, that educate workers on how to protect themselves, and basically to empower workers to use existing protections that are afforded to every resident or citizen or worker to be able to have some level of control over their working conditions. And we work very closely with unions because those agreements are so essential to creating a generational change in how union members and their families are able to live, invest in the communities that they're, they're, they're living in. We believe that unionization is very important, but as a worker center, we are not unions. We are not able to unionize workers. We're only able to empower workers to be able to protect themselves using all of the necessary tools that are available to any worker in our community and providing a place of resource, a place of training where there might not be 
training. For example, the Clean Car Wash, which is a worker center movement that helps to educate car wash arrows and workers who, who, who work in the car wash industry, you know, doing trainings on, you know, what are the health and safety chemicals that you can use, how to handle those chemicals so that you can be safe and protect yourself. The Black Worker Center, we do a ready-to-work boot camp for workers who have been long-term unemployed. You know, how do you understand the culture of work? You know, what does that look like when you're coming out of maybe a culture of, you know, incarceration because of the over-surveillance of your community or you're coming from a culture of chronic unemployment where for generations, you know, no one in your home, no one that you've known, probably from your grandparents down to your parents who've ever had a consistent good full-time job. You've never seen that. What does it mean to, to have a culture of work? How do you teach that and how do you gain those skills? And also, how do you have the support? CEOs have life coaches. They have mentors. They have support networks, peer networks. So too often, working class folks don't have those benefits, right? So how do we in the community help to provide the resources and tools to access the quality jobs and the retention? right, of those jobs. I, I say that worker centers feel more on the holistic level where we're looking at work, but we're looking at it from a community, cultural, and in, in many cases, you know, from a spiritual perspective. And that is, you know, how to uplift the greatest of ourselves to articulate our gifts in society through work and to make a contribution to our communities that way. That is kind of how I see the difference between worker centers and unions, and really, I'm proud to be a part of an effort too, to grow worker centers. As I mentioned, immigrant worker centers have really grown over the last 25 years. But the LA Black Worker Center, we were the first worker center in California and helped to build a national network of worker centers that are now operating in seven cities across the country and growing. And um, we think that this is critically important because, as I mentioned, this is spiritual work. <laughs> and we know the history of black people in this country and the tremendous sacrifices and labor that was contributed to the making of what is now the greatest economy in the world. Yet, you know, black workers are so, so severely underrepresented in our economy today. And so what we are wanting to educate and to engage in the conversation in our community around this question of why is it that we're in this crisis and how do we not blame individuals for what this job crisis is, but look at the system failure that has created this crisis and how do we come together to both heal ourselves as individuals, but also to create a system that works for black workers. I was wondering about your personal journey when it comes to working in labor justice and in black justice movements. How did you get started? What really inspired you and put you on this path? Well, I would say, you know, it, it began with my mother. Um, my mom was a single teenage mother who had to raise a daughter, and she worked two jobs and went to school, mainly because she could not survive in this economy. There weren't enough supports, and the jobs weren't good enough for her to be able to simply be a mom, have a decent job, and raise me. She had to spend, you know, nearly all of her day working. And, and so I spent very little time with her growing up and realized that she did have to choose between parenthood 
and, and livelihood. She is such a strong an example of determination and overcoming, but also a reminder that our families shouldn't have to make those kinds of choices, that this should be an economy where a job provides sustainable wages and resources and time for families to spend with each other and in community. I'm really honored to be part of and working with such a courageous group of, of workers who say that that's not right and that we can do better. So I, I come I come to this work knowing that our society can be a society where we can provide strong jobs and build strong families at the same time. And I had the opportunity to be a union member when I came out of college as a journalist, where working in, as a newspaper reporter and the industry just being under deep transformation and and really taken over by advertising and closing newspapers across the country. As a union member, I was able to fight and hold on to, to my job for as long as I could and to ensure that we still had a robust and powerful newspaper industry that was respecting folks' First Amendment, but it didn't last long because in the end, the industry, the corporate heads of that industry sector won out and the newspaper industry collapsed. I had the opportunity to join and do as a researcher with the Service Employees International Union, and I did that, and I never looked back. It was an opportunity to work directly with communities who were fighting for their right to be paid fair wages and to have some dignity on the job. I joined later with the security officers where we were organizing private security officers after 9-11. These were security officers who were securing high-rise buildings under these very dangerous homeland security alerts, but yet they had no health benefits. They had no real training protocol. They were working at minimum wage, and some of the men, many of them young black men who thought this was going to be a part-time job ended up being in this industry for for many years, some of them up to 25 years, and they were capping out at $11 an hour. And I got to see firsthand how when workers say, no, that is not fair, it's not right, we want justice, those workers organized and came together and created one of the largest organizing victories in Los Angeles where 4,000 private officers formed their union back in, in the early 2000s. Instead of, you know, having a brick ceiling of $11 an hour and no benefits, you know, those security officers who were in the union were starting at $11.50 an hour with free family benefits. And so that's the power of change. That's, that's the power of workers coming together and working with employers to create a workforce and a sector that is high road and making a difference in our communities. And if we can do that in one industry sector, what does it mean for other workers in the community to understand that collective action can create change, to understand that workers, when they know their rights, can protect themselves and their families and communities? And it motivates me every day to see how members of the Black Workers Center are standing up for things like right now, the workers are fighting for local enforcement now, um, which is an effort to ensure that anti-employment discrimination protections are 
available at the local level, meaning that where discrimination happens, workers can go to their cities and go on the record about the discrimination and have their complaints addressed. We think this is a powerful tool for all workers to be able to have civil and human rights in their own city that are defended and protected. And our members are very supportive of this effort to bring those protections to Los Angeles. Our members are also working right now to support an effort that's happening in Sacramento, which is FU18. And this is a bill, again, to strengthen employment discrimination protections and to create seamless enforcement from local government to state government to federal government, a seamless enforcement strategy around employment discrimination. This is the work that is inspiring. This is the work that lifts all workers, and I'm just very honored to be a part of it. And I'll just say one thing. I think as, you know, CWC members have been saying that in this era, I mean, we've been just witnessing the Me Too movement and the sexual harassment that is so endemic in our society. We've been experiencing blackface in Virginia and so, you know, discrimination in Starbucks, so many ways in which workers are being faced with, with just deep-seated uh, racism. It's, it's in the air that we breathe. It's, it's in the soil that we walk on. It will take time for this society to change the heart of men and women, but we can right now today protect people. We can today enforce laws that help to protect our community against this rampant and insidious racism and sexual violence and ensure that our workers are, are safe and protected. And so that, to me, the work that the Black Worker Center is doing around creating enforcement tools to protect workers, the efforts that the Black Worker Center is doing to prepare workers for quality jobs, it just makes me feel that the arc is long, but it does bend towards justice. And it makes me feel good, so good every day to get up and to go to work and to be a part of this movement. I was wondering what the relationship is between the lines of solidarity between the Black Worker Center and the Black Lives Matter movement and other Black feminist and womanist movements. How do they work kind of together? Because they're inextricably linked, of course. But in what ways does the Black Worker Center work with the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, I want to say that the Black Lives Matter movement created a visual that was such a powerful educator for the world about what is happening, has continued to happen to Black people, and why we all need to stop and pay attention to it. The courage showed by that movement, the brilliance of that movement, the audacity of that movement has inspired, informed, elevated all movements that connect to Black liberation in this country, be it liberating workers in the economy, liberating women from violence, or just liberating Black people to be. I think the work is deeply connected because it focuses on the structures of oppression that have been real and constant in the lives of Black people from the first time that we reached these shores until the 21st century, where we're dealing with the most hostile, bigoted, and overtly discriminatory administration and climate in, in our history. And so this is a, not in our history, but in our modern history. 
And so I think what is uniting about all of these very creative and effective movements is that the goal is to address the structures that are creating the conditions that are causing the genocide of our people in this country and creating a vocabulary and an analysis that both educates and inspires people, Black and non-Black, to take action. That's how I see the connections between these movements, and particularly in these early stages of this work. And I think as we build on the infrastructure of these movements and the connected tissue, there's a powerful message for this country that can will continue to come out and will continue to have greater impact, not just on the lives of Black people, but on the souls of Americans overall. And that, I think, has always been part of the Black Freedom Movement, is about transformational change that creates a new way of being, a way, a new way of doing. And I think that is the intent of this work, and that's what unites so many of the, these beautiful movements that are really focusing on the broader liberation of America and the broader liberation of us all from these systems of oppression. Thank you so much, Joel. Um, before we end the interview, I would just like to give you the opportunity to say anything else you might want to inform people about Black liberation movements, about the Black Worker Center, and more about your work. Sure. I, you know, I think this work would not happen without, and particularly when we talk about students and we talk about young and old folks who have a vision for what our society should be and what they should look like, that this work that we do at the Black Worker Center would not happen without a network of volunteers, be it healers, be it trainers, be it line dancers, <laughs> be it lawyers or law students. How do we come together, bring our resources to the table and need them to make a difference? I think that you know, wherever you are, whatever gifts that you have, they're needed in the fight for justice. I mean, I want to encourage your listeners to get involved in the LA Black Worker Center or worker centers in and around community. Right now, there's a plan to actually build a worker center in Riverside, California, and certainly that worker center will have impact on the Riverside San Bernardino area. How do you get involved in helping to create space where social change is is, is a priority? So I, I want to say that this this work is growing and it's moving, and we need everyone to roll up their sleeves and to participate. Because if you lift Black workers, you lift all workers. If you lift something that's underneath the bottom up, everything that's on top of it rises and elevates as well. And so that is, I think, how we approach our work. How do we with black workers and with us all, how do we all roll up our sleeves and get involved? Lastly, I will add that the work around ensuring that we build discrimination-free work sites, not just for black workers, but for women, for immigrants, for trans, Latinx workers, we must ensure that employers who break the law, who do not respect the dignity and, and rights of all workers in the workplace that they are held accountable. And we call on folks to check out our campaign at www.lablackworkercenter.org, hashtag local enforcement now, hashtag heal black futures, to, to check us out, to get involved, to sign up, to get information and participate in this movement, to expand employment discrimination protection for all Californians. We look forward 
to this victory and really beginning to re-engage in a conversation on why civil rights protections are so important, and particularly for us now in the 21st century. Thank you so much, Lola, for the time and effort you've taken today to share your wisdom and work with us. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.